nothing, you lose. I've never been so high in my life. The category is Butch Queen, Butch Queen, Butch Queen, first time in drags at hey. a ball. What it do and what is good, good people. Welcome to another episode of Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. Joining me in the studio today, she's the near dark to my lost boy, LA Weekly film critic, just finding out journalist of the year nominee, April Wolf is in the building. Hey, April. Hey, Ricky. What's good with you, April? What's good with me? Um, real quick, I'm super political and I volunteer with a place uh, called um, uh, Demand the Vote. And I um, I write PSAs for uh, uh, voters' rights in different uh you know states, but I also wanted to quick plug that you can go to uh, Tony uh, the Democrat dot org I think or dot com, and you can start doing uh, writing postcards to people in different states for their elections. And I just need to tell people immediately, <laughs> like get on it right now. Write postcards to Democrats in different uh, states if you are a Democrat or if you want to, you know, influence Democrats. Do that. That's well, what th- I do. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, thank you, April. Yeah. Starting off with the hot politics. Coming in hot I'm with so politics, sorry. yo. I'm sorry, but it's just like, it's on my mind, Ricky. So the first thing you're like, what's good? Well, let me tell you. Boom, boom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, also in the studio with me, he's already offered me emotional support before I've seen Justice League Film <laughs> Reviews editor at The Rep, Alonzo Duralde in the building. Hey, Ricky. Hey, Alonzo. What's good with you? Uh, well, gosh, after that political thing, mine sounds extra stupid. But <laughs> I bought this really cool baking magazine called Sift, and it was so like fancy and glossy and cool looking that I spent $13 on it before realizing that it was actually all created to shill for King Arthur flour. What? <laughs> King Arthur's good. It is good. It's a great magazine, but I like it's the kind of thing that you would you should get for free with two box tops. <laughs> We've also I just got some late breaking news. Alonzo Duralde is a nominee this year. What? What? I thought it was Alonzo Durante. Uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I think I think Alonzo Durante was nominated, but he's he's a close second to Duralde. Yeah, congratulations to him, whoever that guy is. <laughs> no, thank you, LA Press Club. That's very kind of you. And I I am honored to be the Cuban butthead to her Asian Daria. You can read her work at The Rep, The Hollywood Reporter, etc., etc. It's Ingu Kang, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, Ingu. Hi. <laughs> Did I do that right? Oh, you killed it. Hi. You killed it. <laughs> you guys. Ingu, how are you? What's good with you? Um, I went to a VR conference yesterday, and pretty much it all blew my mind. And so I'm just here to tell you now that VR is the future of storytelling, and everything that we're going to talk about today is completely pointless and moot. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering why you have VR head glasses on right now. It's very, very bizarre. Uh, what's good with me? I want to give a happy 24-year-old birthday to two of my favorite albums. A uh, little hip-hop knowledge for you all. The albums Midnight Marauders and Enter the 36 Chambers by the Wu-Tang Clan came out on the same exact day uh, 24 years ago. So happy birthday to those two albums because they have two of my favorite hip-hop songs on there. Electric Relaxation by Tribe Called Quest and The Mystery of Chess Boxing by the Wu-Tang Clan. That's oh. what's up. 
On today's show, we're taking a road trip in Mom's station wagon to the three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. We'll have an extended stay in Missouri with a new segment, The State of Things. We won't stop until we stump the madness of King Christmas Alonzo. And of course, we will have staff picks for you. But first, let's knock out some news stories in our segment, Ed a Dick, which stands for, Is This Important? Do I Care? How this works is I'll read a news blurb or headline, and my co-hosts will jump in with their take by answering two simple questions. Is this important? Do I care? After several women came forward to accuse him of sexual harassment and misconduct, Gal Gadot confirmed reports that Brett Ratner won't be involved in the making of Wonder Woman 2. For those who didn't know, Brett Ratner helped finance Wonder Woman. Is this important? Do you all care? I didn't even know that he was involved in the first one. And then when I saw his name on the credits in the screen, I was just like, oh, for real? Like, <laughs> this is what's happening? As it's just, it's it hurts my brain to even think of the fact that he was involved in the first one. If and we could also take Steven Mnuchin's name off of all these movies, that would sure. be great, too. It'd be, yeah, when I saw his name, too, and Brett Ratner, I was just like, I need to forget that ever happened because I want to enjoy this film. Yeah, I, I don't know how much Gal Gadot personally made this happen, but, you know, uh, I'm glad she's glad. Yeah. Yeah. Steven Soderbergh is combining using your smartphone with going to the movies with the release of his new project, Mosaic. Here's how it works. You'll download the app Mosaic on your phone, pick a character, and then you follow that character through the movie. So basically, it's like the old Choose Your Own Adventure book series. For those of you who don't remember books, they're what we looked at before the internet. Is this important? Do you all care? So everyone Ingo. is looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've, you've seen this thing. You've written about this thing. I have. Um, for Slate, go read it. I think it's interesting, but I think that he undercuts it a lot because he's basically going to make a six-hour HBO miniseries about like with the exact same footage, and so I don't really know how he's going to generate interest in this app if he's just going if you can just like watch it like a traditional old way two months later. Um, can I ask you a real question? Yeah. So on HBO, the version that you watch, you won't have an option of choosing. No, it it's will just, just be, be like a, straight... a okay, linear gotcha. miniseries. I will say it's not exactly a choose your own adventure thing because no matter which way, no matter which buttons you push, the outcome will be the same. Like the killer will be the same. And so I really appreciated sort of having my hand guided through entertainment as opposed to, like, choosing. Like, sure. I, I just want more passivity. I don't want to do anything. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not here to work. entertain me. Exactly. Yeah, you create a narrative. You choose my adventure. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. You know what that's called? Fucking movies. Yeah. Like, that's what it's called. <laughs> The Directors Guild of America released a new report this week that said there's a huge increase in the hiring of female and minority directors in episodic television for the 2016-17 season. From last year, there was a 23.5% increase for women and a 15.8% increase for minority directors. Is this important? Do you care? I mean, I think it's great that this development is happening in TV, but since this is a film podcast... Uh, I would love to see the numbers for film because it is nowhere near going to be this good. But I will say that it's great that the Directors Guild of America, which represents obviously all of the directors, is making sure that like their own membership uh, gets equal or more equal opportunities, which they didn't before. 
I mean, they're not really trying. I'll just... <laughs> well, I don't, know, I don't know that the like Guild they're... is trying, but I think you've got, obviously, like, you know, shows like Queen Sugar, where they've made it a point to hire all women of color. Mm-hmm. You've got, mm-hmm. you know, Jessica Jones committing to do all female directors. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know. That the, I mean, the Guild only has so much power. They don't really dictate hiring practices it's up to you know the producers and the studios and the the entities with the money to make that stuff happen and and so obviously if 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 we wouldn't see these numbers improving if if they weren't taking it upon themselves to make that happen they aren't i mean the dga is not making that happen and i need to make that clear that they're not trying and i think that some people um think that they are but they're actually just kind of reaping the rewards of uh, producers like um uh uh you know, from the Half Foundation, everything that's gone on with that, with Queen Sugar, um, with uh, 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 was it this is a Netflix show, Jessica Jessica Jones, Jessica, Jessica Jones. Jones. Yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, the DGA is supposed to be advocacy. Uh, they're not, and they've been actually trying to hide these numbers from uh, what I hear from all of my friends who are in the DGA. Who I'm not going to name names because they need jobs. But um, it's been kind of an uphill battle with them. And I hope that things are actually changing. But for the past few years, it's been like, it's not our fault. But, you know, everyone says, like, it's not our fault. But it's fucking everyone's fault. You know, it's, it's a problem. So I take back everything I said before. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think part of the Ouroboros of, of, you know, well, we can't hire women directors because women directors don't have enough experience. And women directors don't have experience because no one is hiring. I mean, even Kathleen Kennedy saying like, I don't know if we could give Star Wars to a woman because who's got the experience? It's like, well, why don't you hire some? So I think if we're seeing, if more women are getting TV gigs, then at least that's that's it. Yeah, it's not film yet, but at least they've got this experience under their belt, mm-hmm. and that be, it makes them more hireable, or at least it, it it chips away at that excuse for not hiring them. It yeah. makes them more yeah. hireable, but at the same time, I think that TV directing, while a very enviable gig, it's also now becoming like a ghetto for female directors. It is. So I think that's important to keep in mind. I mean, you look at sure. Michelle McLaren, who who directs so many. Great, show. and you know, there's also a choice. I think a lot of women actually um, might want to choose to direct TV because it is a different um, and more accommodating medium than film is, mm-hmm. uh, and you can make a living and still have your creative, um, uh, you know, choices. But uh, so I don't know. Maybe I can't comment on that. But it's it does seem to be sometimes a dead end for some directors who would like to direct film but can't get out. Sure. Yeah. All right, this is our last story. This one's a little bit lighter. We already know everyone loves to Netflix and chill. Turns out a lot of people like to Netflix and flush. 13 million of them, to be exact. According to a new study, people will pretty much stream Netflix anywhere. Of the 37,000 surveyed, 7% admitted to watching in public restrooms, 26% say they watch at work, and 67% say they watch TV shows in public. And in case you hadn't guessed, Netflix did commission this survey. Is this important, y'all? Do you care? I don't want them to start making bathroom-centric shows because they found out that 7% of people are watching in a fucking public restroom. Another documentary about Niagara Falls. Oh, no. Oh, no. All of next season's of Mindhunter is taking place in porta potties across the country. I don't know oh if you heard God. that. I don't know, you know if you heard that. I'm so ready for it, right? <laughs> who did the poops? <laughs> yeah, who did the dicks? Who did the poops? Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, we should end it there with that important question. Think American about that, y'all. Toilet. <laughs> Outhouse of Cards. Oh, 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 oh. there you go. I think there I think Alonzo Durante won that that's round. A, that's why. Thank you, Ms. Wolf. Well, brown is the new black. <laughs> oh, brown is the new black. We are going to take a break, a bathroom break, maybe, and when we come back, we're putting up our three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. We'll be right back with Who Shot Ya. Oh, sorry about that. Just had to dispatch some goons real quick. Hi, I'm April Wolf, lead film critic at LA Weekly. And when I'm not kicking butt, I'm hosting the new Maximum Fun podcast, Switchblade Sisters. Do you love genre films? Do you love female filmmakers? Do you love discussions on craft? If your answer is yes, you'll love Switchblade Sisters. Every episode, I invite one female filmmaker on, and we talk in depth about their fave genre film and how it influenced their own work. So we're talking horror, action, sci-fi, fantasy, bizarro, and exploitation cinema. Mothers, lock up your sons, because the Switchblade Sisters are coming for you. Available at MaximumFun.org or wherever you find your podcasts. Welcome back to Who Shot Y'all. I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. With me in the studio today, I have... April Wolf, Ingu Kang. Alonzo Duralde. Today, we are talking about the Francis McDormand joint, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Ingu, you're our guest today. So can you tell us what this movie is about, please? The movie begins with Frances McDormand commissioning three billboards right outside of her house. And basically, the billboards accuse the local sheriff played by Woody Harrelson of not doing his job because Frances McDormand's daughter had been raped and murdered about seven months ago. And basically, there are no suspects. No one's in prison. There's no investigation. And so basically, she is saying to the sheriff, hey... What are you doing? Um, And basically, things spiral on from there, and there's a lot of stuff about police brutality and all of the things that are going wrong. But then you also find out that the sheriff has a pretty big problem of his own. Mm -hmm. That's solid. There you go. <laughs> That's a, that, yeah, there were, you were, go. Did, were, were you wrapping it up there? Yes. Yes. Yeah, there, there you go. That's solid. This movie's pretty goddamn challenging. Because, what do you mean? Well, I I've said it on this show before. I I like movies where I don't necessarily like who it is I'm watching. Just Sam Rockwell's character. I was just constantly uh, Sam Rockwell's in this movie. For those of you who don't know, who plays a police uh, a police officer, a racist police officer, uh, who tortured abusive, a black yeah, man in yeah. custody and in flagrantly arrests and threats to arrest any black man in town. Yeah. Uh, you know, he that's that's his point of view. Uh, but there is a moment in the movie where he is going to decide to help uh, Frances McDormand uh, find out who uh, who killed her daughter. And it's kind of played like... See, that's like a, a that, 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 this, that, yeah. this This is what I found like kind of challenging about it, is like, how... What it, how am I supposed to feel about this, right? Am I supposed to be? Am I supposed to be like, oh, cool, he's turning over a new leaf? So one thing to note about this movie is that it's a very chatty black comedy. Uh, the writer director is Martin McDonough, and he did in Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. Seven Psychopaths. Seven Psychopaths. <laughs> and basically, 
when the movie starts, you think that you're in a kind of like gritty, realistic movie, like the town is kind of like a shithole. And Frances McDormand doesn't really wear any makeup as far as I can tell. And the town is overall is like not pretty. And so you think that you're walking into this like very uh, realistic movie. And then I think the further it goes, it keeps bouncing between that more realistic side and the kind of this like crappy Tarantino tribute where like one of the quote unquote super badass moments is Frances McDormand throwing Molotov cocktails into the police station as like her vengeance for the police's laziness. And so one of the big problems with this movie, just like not discussing anything else, is it's just totally, completely unwieldy. Like it's almost like you're trying to like grab onto one of those like uh, airflow, like car salesman, floaty men things, because it's just like all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Alonzo, what'd you think? Uh, I like this movie, and I was just going to let you guys play this out because uh... I don't. I, I don't know if I, I. I don't mean to interrupt you so quick. I'm sorry. I don't know if I disliked it. I I, I did enjoy it, but it's it's in my mind as to. I'm I, asking a lot of questions. I like I like Martin McDonough in general. I thought In Bruges was great. Seven Psychopaths less so, but. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think that, yes, he, there aren't any easy answers about these characters. And I don't think we're supposed to, you know, love Sam Rockwell by the end. But I think there is a glimmer of of uh, redemption that is offered to him. And I don't think that we need to necessarily withhold that from terrible characters or that doesn't leave us much in the way of drama. Um, sure. You know, I think that the Frances McDormand character makes mistakes but she is the film's sort of moral conscience for the most part and and she is sort of trying to f keep attention focused on this case that everybody else is sort of willing to kind of just sort of let go and become a cold case um you know i i i think it i think it's a film that's funny i think it's a film that is tricky because yeah it does jump around from from genre and it doesn't lay out a clear path of like, you know, she's good and he's terrible. Like, because, you know, these are characters that are messy and complicated. There are even sort of scenes that are messy and complicated where two people will be having like this really intense confrontation. And then uh, a character who is, who we find has a terminal illness suddenly will cough up blood. And then the whole chain, the whole tone of the room changes yeah. and they go from being adversarial to like, one person sort of being nurturing towards the other one, you know? And so it's this, it's this feeling of a small town where you may like the people, you may hate the people, but you're all sort of stuck together in very close quarters and, and how that those people can, can, can chafe against each other in that way. So for me, it mostly worked. I yeah. think I, I want to, I'm going to disagree with, I, I think that McDonough, who I just love, I think he's one of our best writers and yet I had a lot of issues with this film. You can tell it was written eight years ago. Um, I what feel does that like, mean? I feel like he set up the moral um, conscience to be uh, Woody Harrelson's character and that uh, Francis McDormand's character, Mildred, was actually so far, um, you might say, quote-unquote, left that she that she was set up to have problems where like she should just let it go you know like why can't she move on if you like think about like her son who's just like why won't why won't you let it go mom but the thing is like i need to make it clear for people 
because I think that it's easy to forget this the way that he's written it. The, the whole impetus for this is that there was a young girl who was raped and set on fire and burned to death and raped while she was burning and dying. Was that like that logistically? I didn't really understand that. This I, is, I, I didn't understand that. Well, it, it. Is, it, is dis, it is mentioned but not shown. It's, right. not, it's mentioned but it's not shown. But the thing is that like that to me is is hard to get past and, and become very, you know, fun and, you know, funny because it actually happens uh, three times a year in the United States. Like there is there are young girls who are raped and set on fire and die like in real life all over the world and it's super hard for me to get past that as just kind of like a plot point of just like oh this is just like the catalyst for setting the story in motion because I'm like okay hold on <laughs> so if she yeah, had been just raped and murdered without the fire would that have been an okay that's worse tipping that's, point it's all for... bad. I mean I think that like that's that's something that's bad too and it, and it's it drives me nuts when rape in a story which I've written a lot about is used as a plot point. It's used Not as a catalyst. Not only that, but it's used rape. One of the things that I really despise about this movie is that it doesn't really take rape or the murder of women or domestic violence, all of which are rele- relevant to the movie, seriously at all. And one way that it does that, one way that you can tell it's completely dismissive, is that this girl's rape and murder is used as the catalyst for Sam Rockwell's redemption arc. Yes, yes. That drives me insane. It because, also drives me insane. Because Sam Rockwell, I love him in this movie. It is possible to love an actor so much and think that his role, like, he did such a great job. His performance mm-hmm. in this is amazing. And also be like, I can't handle this in a movie and I don't think it should be there. So, like, as an overall, like, thing, as an overall, like, as part of the whole arc of it, I don't think it works because of this. But his character, you know, these performances, they're all on their own wonderful, but it just can't work together. It's so interesting to me that it seems like both of you thought that they w- were making light of this girl's rape and murder and i i did not get i did not get that vibe at all i felt like when the movie was being funny uh it was to kind of like break the tension that's happening in the room similar to like what you said with the scene happens where somebody gets blood split in their fl- in their face uh and i was just like oh wait yeah, wh- because wh- wh- what is scene happening right now about how we should be sympathetic toward another white cop because this, here's I'm the sorry. thing. So, like, one thing that April mentioned is that this movie, because it was written eight years ago, feels like it's, even though this movie is being described as timely or relevant, it really does not feel like this moment because it doesn't really care about the victim's uh, perspective at all. It also doesn't feel very, it also feels extremely pre-Black Lives Matter. Oh, yeah. Because... The movie's gist is that racist cops exist, but if you want to root out racist cops, all you have to get rid of is like the one bad apple in the bunch. And not only that, but I really feel like you cannot go on and on and on about how Southern cops are racist if you, as the writer-director, have no significant black characters in your movie. Yeah, one just gets sent to jail and just disappears for the whole movie and then comes out and is just like, ah, doesn't even say anything. She's like, hey, and then smiles. And you're like, she got, she was in jail. Yeah. And that goes to, goes on a date with the only other black person in town. Yeah. 
right? Like that doesn't I, make any sense. I, what about Old Boy from the Wire? There's there, it, there, it, there, it, are, there are black people walking in the background. I don't know. In the know. background. I, in the background. And, like, and, we, and we, a black we, guy we've, we've winds up with, running the police station. We've talked about movies before where we are excited just about seeing people of color in the background. I don't I don't know how that's a flaw now in this movie. Because I don't know if Black Lives Matter has reached this little ass town yet. Like if, no, that's if not it would if it would have been very if there the point is not this that movie would have lives... ended kind of like the like, like like do the right thing and like set in front of like Sal's pizzeria. I'd be like, wow. How, it doesn't this... have to. It's just about point of view, and it's about like the way that he he directs the story to be us trying to be so sympathetic to Sam Rockwell's character. Which doesn't make any sense because he hasn't earned any forgiveness. There's nothing in my brain that can help wipe away the fact that he tortured a black man in custody. What? Like there's nothing that can help me forget about that. And and it doesn't have to be that, you know, a black person comes up and is just like and throws, you know, a chair through a window or something or has an uprising. But like just have like a character. And I don't think that the police chief even counts because he doesn't even really say anything. He just like he stands there and he's the straight man. You know, if he had not existed in that movie, nothing about that movie would have changed. He might as well have been like a light flicking on and off to create calm within the police station after things get out of control. Yeah, just like they're just catalysts like the the. You know, all the other characters, they're just kind of catalysts for, for these two people, which is really just Mildred and um, uh, Dixon, Sam Rockwell's character. I didn't see anyone else's. I think that if it was more focused on Mildred and it wasn't like two intersecting storylines that had to meet up and we had to redeem Dixon, it would have been fine. But this the, would have been fine. No. I also also had a huge problem with Frances McDormand's character, Mildred, because I think one of the things that you're supposed to really get out of the movie is that... So Alonzo had mentioned earlier about how the... Initially, the town is really sympathetic toward her, and then she puts up these billboards, and then people just go fucking nuts. And the town suddenly turns against her. A priest comes to her home and talks about how, you know, people in the congregation have been complaining about the billboards. And basically, if the movie is initially greatly understanding of how there is no place for female rage for righteous female rage in this small town, which is very repressive and very backward. By the end of the movie, she goes so overboard that she becomes, that basically her rage and the female rage by extension is made into a mockery. Yeah, it's a cartoon. It's just like, why why are you still mad about your daughter's rape and murder? It's been seven months. Get over it. You know, see, like okay, this, I, characters in the film say that, but I don't think the film is saying that. I, yes, I, 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 I agree. I think the film is saying that because, because like, she, she goes so crazy. She, I don't think she goes she that goes crazy. crazy. I think she has she tries normal to kill reaction. I think even when she blows up the police station, like the movie is on her side. Absolutely. The movie is on her side, but only because the movie can't decide if it's supposed to be realistic or if it's supposed to be a hyper-violent genre flick. Yeah. But either way, I think that it's supporting her point of view. If this was a realistic movie, the movie would have ended with her in prison because, hello, she fucking threw Molotov cocktails into a police station. Yeah, but she's a white woman. 
Like, <laughs> like, like, I want to see Ricky writing screenplays now. He's just like, well, I mean, like, she just gets away. She's I never had a moment in watching the movie where I didn't think that the film was on Frances McDormand's side and supporting her rage. I felt it even, was not. So even I when, also thought it was not. Oh, then I then we just have different interpretations. I'm not. No, uh, it's just you're wrong. Fine. <laughs> I, I'm I, a man. I wasn't. I wasn't gonna say you're wrong. I was gonna say that we had different interpretations. Just to throw that out there. Yeah, well, you're not a monster like Ingo. <laughs> yeah, Ingo was all about Where's who was right and who was wrong in here. Where's your April? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm on an Why island. Why a betrayer of women? <laughs> oh, well, Ingo's so is, spicy yeah. coming in here. Well, well Alonzo uh, was just like at a loss. Look, I'm not going to stand here and try and like defend, you know, every gender-based thing about this movie that is clearly bothering you because... I would hate it if I were annoyed by a movie that I thought was homophobic and some straight person tried to explain to me that, oh, no, the movie's heart is in its right place or whatever. I can only share that my experience of seeing this film twice, uh, I did not read the stuff the way that y'all are reading it. I believe that y'all did. You and, believe and... woman Alonzo? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to talk or not? Sorry. <laughs> So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not gonna you know contradict y'all, but that, that's just not the experience that I had watching the film. Yeah, I uh, just to add on to to what Alonzo's saying, I I, I agree 100 percent with him. I did not experience the same movie that the both of you did. Uh, like I said, the, 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 what I like in characters and what I like in movies are are shades of gray, and this movie gave me shades of gray that made me uncomfortable sometimes. And uh, and I appreciated it. It was a struggle to watch, especially during the uh, during the end. Uh, April, do you think people should stream this movie, screen this movie, or skip this movie? I I think that they should actually uh, go to the theater. I think they should screen it. I I think that um, I want to have more conversations about it, and I also want um, Martin McDonough to hear some of them. And I think that it might change the way that he writes some things. Um, but yeah, I think maybe go to the theater, even though I'm I'm very critical of this film. Sure, Ingu. You know, I'm gonna say screen it just um, because Francis. <laughs> I think April makes great points. <laughs> I make great points. <laughs> but also, Frances McDormand is the only thing keeping this movie going, and she's her so performance is great. Oh, she's so good. Alonzo? I mean, you know, I, I'm, I like this movie a lot. I, I, would, I, I would say you could stream it in terms of the fact that I don't know that it's cinematically it's the kind of movie that demands to be seen theatrically but I will say screen it in terms of I do endorse this movie for the most part and I think it's very much worth seeing yep I agree I would say to uh, screen it and then hopefully people have a, a conversation like this afterwards cause... have coffee with Ingu afterwards <laughs> yeah, yeah call her up right away Holler she'll tell you what's up <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break, y'all. When we come back, you know what we're going to do? We're going to stump you, Alonzo. We'll be right back, y'all. What's up? I'm James, the co-host of Minority Corner. And look at that. I'm a neck 
Okay, the other co-host of Minority Corner. Girl, guess what? What? We just hit our 100th episode. What? And what do you think is going to be in store for the next 100? Probably some more feuds with Jennifer Hudson. And I'm telling you. I'm we'll probably do more investigative reporting, too, like we did with the Kodak and their racist film. Not to mention exposing the truth, like how we did with the ugly history of the Texas Rangers. But we always lighten the mood with a splash of pop culture. Olivia Pope's new wig. Have you seen that? It's popping. Just like your lip gloss. And Janet Jackson. And you know we like to put our nerd glasses on and talk about things like Marvel. It's true. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't speak about DC. <laughs> but you just did. Why? All from a perspective that's black, queer, and ladylike. So come on over and learn, laugh, and play, and join the corner. It's a lot of fun. I'm having fun right now. <laughs> <laughs> Minority Corner. Welcome back to Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. With me in the studio, I have... Alonzo Duralde. Ingu Kang, April Wolf. Now it's time for that game that none of us are getting annoyed with called Stump Alonzo. It's very simple. Each of us will ask Alonzo a question about a Christmas movie and see if he really is El Rey de Navidad, the King of Christmas, that is. Now, Alonzo, this round's a little different. It's the music edition of Stump Alonzo. Oh, my. Yes, okay. sir. So we're going to bring a band in. Please bring the band, the band in. <laughs> uh, April, I believe you have the first question for Alonzo. Okay, so this question is, um, what movie does this song come from? Producers, play the song. Okay, I'm kind of a stickler for not blurring Christmas specials and movies. But I will allow this. Jesus Christ. Are you serious? It is from the television special Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Follow up. (laughs) (laughs) What is the name of the red-bearded gold digger in this film? Yukon Cornelius. Yeah, that's true. Man, this dude, he got two off of me. He got two off of me. (laughs) From downtown. Ingu, I believe you have a question for Alonzo. Okay, Alonzo. What movie does this song come from? And can you name three out of the four actors singing? Oh, boy. Okay. I come from Never heard of that in my life. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh my god! The stumping I... of Alonzo has happened. <laughs> oh my god! Can I the stumpening. <laughs> like the quickening. Yes. <laughs> the Highlander. The stumping. I've just taken all of Alonzo's power. <laughs> you don't want it. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. Uh-huh. Um, this is also the name of a vibrator store. <laughs> 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 oh, 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 oh. Okay, so it's Babes in Toyland. Yes. Um, <clears throat> golly, uh, there's been several versions of this. This sounded, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know if it's the... It's the 86 the... version. Oh, okay, so this is Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. So, what? Uh, that's... <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, oh, God, what is her name? Uh, that's the one I can remember. So the other people were Drew Barrymore... 
a person named Googie Gruff. Okay. <laughs> and Jill Shalen. Oh wow! All right. That's a real name, Googie Gress, everybody. By the way, Google I that. would like everyone to call me Googie from now on. <laughs> done and done. It, it, your name is Ingu. Like, Googie. That's, that, that's not an impossible nickname. No, it's, it's totally there. I can do that. Googie, Googie Kang. <laughs> Googie Kang. I love it. It's like Pootie Tang. <laughs> what, what have I started? <laughs> All right, Alonzo, I need you to answer me these three questions, oh sir. What's the name of this song? Who's the artist, and what movie is it from? Okay. I tell them all I want for Christmas is two gold front teeth and ten carat diamonds on a fat gold wreath that I can wear around my neck. Get money and respect. I, tell Santa Claus I, I, I got nothing. <laughs> uh, you don't know the holiday classic? Luda Christmas by Ludacris <laughs> from the film Fred Claus? Wow, okay. <laughs> I saw Fred Claus once and I've done my best to forget all of it, except that Paul Giamatti is a really good Santa. <laughs> uh, well then, I don't know if this bonus question will, will, will do anything, but what was Ludacris' character's name oh, in Fred God. Claus? <laughs> <laughs> Sir Collecting a Check. Um. <laughs> MC Collect a Check, you're right. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> Ludacris played the character of DJ Donnie, y'all. Oh. DJ Donnie. Mm, yes, Donnie. Boy, if y'all are into Fred Claus and Babes in Toyland, okay, well, I, you know, <laughs> I, my expertise apparently clearly only goes so far. So. It's etched in his memory now. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> scalded. And, of course, this is the point that I mentioned, since no one else will do it for me. Oh, then my book, Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, is now available at Amazon and elsewhere. You just do it so well. I like hearing you. I love hearing you slip into it and like finding it. I'm just like waiting, like making the space for it to happen. Like it's going to happen. All right. Out of a total of nine points there, Alonzo scored four points. That's a four oh, out of nine. Sad trombone. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that might be the, the saddest episode of uh, Stump Alonzo. Well, yeah. you, you wanted to stump me. I hope it feels good now Fe- that it's happened. Feels goddamn great. I ain't gonna right, lie. Then. I ain't gonna lie. Okay. <laughs> if you have Christmas movie questions you'd like to submit, please email us at whoshotya at maximumfun.org. All right, before we take off, it's time for Staff Picks. Every week we ask the panel to tell us about a movie we think folks should check out. Any movie at all. Ingu, I'll start with you. I did not bring a movie. I brought okay. a television series. Oh, okay. So the TV show that I'm recommending is from the BBC and available on Netflix. It's called Happy Valley. And it is basically the exact premise as Three Billboards in Evans, Missouri. And mm-hmm. that it is about a middle-aged woman in a small town whose daughter was raped. Um, in this one, she commits suicide. But basically dead and the way that this show handles this exact scenario and all of the attendant issues is like 180 from three billboards and therefore i recommend it highly all right that's what's up alonzo so this is a a 1944 movie that i saw for the first time while i was researching my christmas book 
have yourself a movie little Christmas. Where's that available uh, at? Amazon and elsewhere. Oh, okay. And, uh, <laughs> but it's just now coming out on Blu-ray for the first time. It's called I'll Be Seeing You, and it stars Ginger Rogers and Joseph Cotton. And for a 40s movie, it gets pretty dark. Uh, Ginger Rogers is in prison for murdering her boss, but it was self-defense because he was trying to rape her. Uh, she gets a Christmas furlough to go visit family. On the train, she meets Joseph Cotton, who seems to be just another G.I coming home from World War II, but he actually is suffering from PTSD and is taking this one last Christmas trip to decide whether or not he needs to remain in psychiatric care for the rest of his life. Um, and so you have these two sort of damaged souls finding each other. Shirley Temple plays one of her first adult roles in the movie as Ginger Rogers' cousin, and at first she's very kind of snotty and suspicious about having to share her bedroom with a convict, but comes to become, you know, grows to become more sort of empathetic and compassionate. And um, it is a really powerful film and it's all set at Christmas. Oh, all right. I'll be seeing you. I'll be seeing you. I'm actually going to jump in line in, in front of you, April, and change 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 things up here. Do it. What? <laughs> yeah. Do it. <laughs> I am recommending the 1990 uh, film that came out. Uh, also, She's not the lead in it, but she is, uh, Frances McDormand is in it. Sam Raimi's Dark Man, y'all. It's a very, I just... Shit, I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, a lot, a, lot, a lot of people have it. I forgot she was in it. <laughs> yeah, she, she, I mean, she's, she plays Liam Neeson's uh, wife in this movie, and uh, she doesn't have that big a role in it, so it's kind of like watching it now, knowing who Frances McDormand is, it's kind of interesting to just be like, hey, that's, she's going to be, she's going to, uh, did she win an Oscar for Fargo? Did, did she she did. for that? Yeah. Like, oh, she's going to win an Oscar at some point, and she's only in this movie for about 10 minutes. Uh, she's also playing the love interest in that uh, in that movie, which Frances McDormand I don't feel gets uh, has done a lot in her career. Uh, but Dark Man, it's a lot of fun. Uh, yes, we have like superhero overload right now and overkill, but Sam Raimi's version of it that that isn't Spider Man is a lot of fun to watch. So I say. Watch Darkman. It's streaming everywhere. And it's one of the few movies that sort of tried to create an original superhero. Yes. Yeah, not, yes. Not yeah. based on another medium. Correct. Also, Indeed. how can anyone get enough Franny McDee in their life? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just want to rewatch Olive Kittredge, like, over and over and over. I still need to watch that. Oh, if you it? love a great death scene... Oh, it's and so who good. doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> Why is it taking us so long to call her Franny McD? I know. <laughs> what are we on? we had yeah, we had to ask Google Google. Yeah, <laughs> Does Googie. her jean jacket still have its own Twitter account? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. April, what do you got for us? Um, so I've been going through all of my top ten list stuff for this year because I have to turn mine in so early. So I'm like going through trying to find the movies that I really like. I still really loved mother and no one can tell me otherwise but it made me re-watch um, the movie They Shoot Horses Don't They? Oh. Um, starring Jane Fonda and she is just enigmatic in this role of just like being tortured uh, through um, let me let me back up and just say it's it's a uh, made in the 70s but it's set in depression area the great era the Great Depression in Los Angeles 70s or 60s Oh, is this? Um, it, might, it might be late 60s. It might be late 60s. Yeah. You're right. It might be like 68. Right. But it's like, you know, the fashion, you, the, the <laughs> <No>. look. <laughs> it's, a, it's a 70s, 30s. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's set in like the Great Depression and it is, you know, based on these, like a, a novel, but based on these uh, very true uh, things that were happening, uh, including dance marathons that were dangerous and, and um, were meant to entertain people. But a lot of poor people had to take 
part in these dance marathons where they would dance for like months on end without really sleeping or like without proper nutrition or anything but they were just like gotta entertain the masses keep dancing on my feet for forever and this movie is just kind of a it never ends. And my, my husband was watching it next to me. He'd never watched it. And he was just like, make it stop. <laughs> and I was like, I know that's what it's supposed to make you feel like. But Jane Fonda's performance in this is just so good. If you if you love her and how she can be like so wicked and smart, but also then like immediately jump into like being vulnerable within like uh, two seconds. Like this is just a showcase for her performance. It's so, so good. I have to I have to re- recommend They Shoot Horses Don't. Excellent. All right. Thank you, April. And thank you to everybody out there who listened today. This has been Who Shot You, y'all? I've been your host, Ricky Carmona. Thank you, Alonzo, for being here, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, April, for being here. Thank you. Shout out to our special guest today, Ingu Kang. Thank you so much. It's Googie. (laughs) Googie Kang. (laughs) Next week, we will be discussing all things Thanksgiving in movies. If you like what you're hearing and want to leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, I won't stop you. In fact, you give us five stars, we'll pledge our love for you next week. How about uh, shout-outs to Izzy Shin? She says, listening to this show, you can just tell that the people here genuinely like what they're doing. We do! <laughs> oh, we, I do? Oh, Alonzo doesn't. <laughs> Alonzo doesn't. Never mind. Becker's 245 says, you need to subscribe. Chop, chop. Here, peoples. Chop, chop. Where's Becker's 245 from? I want to know how, we, how they drop chop, chop on us. <laughs> and et cetera, illustration. Who shot you is a danged breath of fresh air. Thank you, etc. Illustration. If anybody wants any personalized movie recommendations, tweet us at Who Shot Ya Pod or send us an email at Who Shot Ya at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. This is a production of MaximumFun.org. And that's what's up. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.